This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zope. Live from Joe's mom's basement in Texarkana, Texas, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money nerds. You tired of being broke? I mean, after the important expenses like lottery tickets, all-you-can-eat buffets, and 10 or 11 ShamWows a month, who's got any money left over? Let's get our financial act together by welcoming the author of the hit new book, Broke Millennial, Aaron Lowry. Also, with news about parenting, Brittany Bergen. And helping us answer your letters from the CNBC documentary, Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, Adam Carroll. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline, dish out some absolutely free trivia, and more. Now, two guys tanned and ready to podcast... Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J. Hey, welcome back. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. You found us. So glad to be back here in the basement at the card table and across this card table from me. As Doug said, tandem ready to go. It's the one and only other guy, as we call him OG. We've got more of a farmer's tan going on right now, like the... You know, the V-neck here. Let me show you. I got the V-neck no, thing don't. going on. Stop. No, no, no. I got my shirt on. But look, you see the V-neck. I'm still stuck on the sham wows. I, I forgot how awesome those things were. I swear you find a reason to get half naked like every time we do the show. Yeah. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. Hey, you know what What you got to find time for? You got to find time to head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. Because 
when you're, you know, sitting in your basement half naked, there's nothing more fun than looking at great rates on savings accounts, on student loans, and on personal loans. I mean, let's say that you have this student loan that needs to be refinanced. Why not refinance it? The average person who uses SoFi, get this, they save over $260 in interest. How about that? 260 bucks. That's pretty, pretty good money. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SOFI. And guess what? If you use our link, SoFi also is going to throw in an extra $100 just because you know us. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. If you've got debt to refinance, check out SoFi. I mean, well, why not check as many places as possible, right? And our new Monday sponsor, so excited, OG. Traditionally, you know, you've got these choices when it comes to online investing tools. You can either go with like a traditional self-directed brokerage, which offers a lot of customization, but they also hit you with commissions every single trade. On top of that, they can be clunky. And for more passive investors, there's this rising trend of automated brokerages that allow you to easily invest in a portfolio that they manage for you, but then you hand over the controls. You find yourself trusting some black box of software and you can't really personalize anything with those options. So to me, both of those are a compromise. Either you give up simplicity for control or you sacrifice control for something easy to manage. Why compromise at all? M1 Finance, a brand new sponsor, says you don't have to do any of that. They offer a balanced solution like nothing you've ever seen before. Set up a personalized portfolio perfectly tailored to your needs and your own investing goals. And then that portfolio is automatically managed by their advanced technology. First $1,000 is free. After that, it's only 0.25% for accounts up to $100,000. And 0.15 for all accounts over 100,000. So give it a try. Check out M1 Finance today on the web at m1finance.com or in the Apple or Android store. M1 Finance, be invested. Happy to have them on board the show. But you know what I'm even happier about, OG? I'm happier that you and I are sitting back here in the basement because it's been a long time, brother. You would usually in our off week, people don't know this, usually you and I talk a little bit on our off week. I think, I think we talked once, maybe. Yeah, one time, maybe. Yeah, late last week, right? Like, hey, are you still, is everybody still alive? It was an, are you alive call? <laughs> I haven't heard from you in seven days. I'm assuming you're in a ditch. Yeah. Nah. It's a good chance that I would be in a ditch after seven days, but. Well, thank goodness you weren't because yeah. the recording. I crawled myself out of a ditch is where <laughs> just, I, what just, I did. Just, just to be back here. Well, yeah. we got, uh, we, we got huge stuff going on. Aaron Lowry. Coming down to the basement, she helped us on the roundtable Friday before last. She's got this awesome book, Broke Millennial, Stop Scraping By and Get Your Financial Life Together. Erin Lowry, you've seen her all over, but now she's about to do her premiere interview, Stacking Benjamin. So uh, first we got some headlines, though, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's headlines. And our first headline today, where are you, where are you going? We're doing them without you. Well, listen to this stat. Uh, 9,000 millennials a day are becoming parents. That's a lot of Barry White music going on. If you're keeping score at home, how do they prioritize their money decisions? A new survey out from Haven Life Insurance has some surprising findings. And that's why coming down to the basement right now, Brittany Burgett from Haven Life joins us to talk about it. Have a seat. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I'm great. I always wonder where my co-host goes when people show up in the basement, but apparently he doesn't play nicely with others. So I guess I scared them off. I guess so. <laughs> so, so in your study, this is a really cool survey. What are parents prioritizing now, Brittany? The idea for the survey actually came up in one of our marketing team meetings. 
A lot of the people on our team, they're millennials. They're in their early 30s, mid 30s. And a lot of them have a child or have their first child on the way. And it kind of came up in this discussion that a lot of people have questions on what the norms are for parents like them. And we decided to do a survey and kind of figure out what that was. So what we set out to do was figure out what their priorities are, not only financially, of course, because that makes sense for us to figure out as a company, but also what their lifestyle priorities were. So I think some of the things that we found most interesting is that of how they're allocating their funds, healthcare and a healthy diet, along with educational services and resources were among the top child-related financial priorities. But some of the things that were a little surprising to us to figure out were that more monetary emergency savings priorities were not up there for them. So college savings, only 13% had prioritized that yet. And 53% had less than $5,000 for an emergency savings. That's so ugly. There's a couple other things in here that kind of cracked me up. Parents aren't sleeping much. No, no, they're not. They got about 6.5 hours of sleep per night. I think that was actually more than some of the parents in the office (laughs) thought that it would be. But I think the one that was really interesting and very telling and true was that they're only estimating to get 55 minutes a day of me time. So as you can imagine, that's probably right after the kid goes to sleep and then before it wakes right back up. (laughs) I remember those days when Nick and Otto, my twins, were, were young and my 55 minutes always ended with my head back on the couch and then waking up at like 3 a.m., you know, with drool and, and finding my way to bed. But I want to ask you about this. You mentioned this earlier. Healthcare is number one. Diet's number two. Education's number three. That all makes sense to me. Childcare's number four. But life insurance was above saving for college. Do you think that that life insurance at 15%, saving for college at 13% when it comes to priorities, Is that because we think we don't have enough money to save for college, so I might as well make sure that if I die, I'm at least protected? (laughs) Got to have that backup plan. Yeah. It's nice to see life insurance beat out something as a financial priority. (laughs) But, you know, if I were to guess, I think life insurance maybe has more of a feeling of immediacy. I mean, we're talking about not very high numbers, right? 13 and 15%. Those aren't, they were in the bottom three of being the most important, but I think maybe college seems a while off and it's probably that thing where they say, you know, your child's a year old and you're like, next year we need to start saving for her college fund and then next year and then next year. And before you know it, your kid's six and you still really need to start saving for college. Oh, not at all. Your kid's 16 and you say, (laughs) I need to save for college. Yeah. And with how expensive college keeps getting, that's a lot of time to make up for if you wait till they're 16. I think that there's a lot of takeaways here on the financial planning end. When I was reading your survey, and we'll link to it on our show notes at stackybedjamins.com, but on the financial planning, and I think obviously putting a few dollars away for college is important, so it's not always going to be so tough, but protecting that me time to me says using apps and financial tools, right? So I don't have to think about my money all the time, make as much of it automated as I possibly can, but you're the life insurance expert, so I think there's probably a takeaway there too. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, when you're talking about let's cut as little into a me time as we can, that's where, you know, our unique value proposition comes into play because we've created a way to financially protect your family that can be done, 
within 20 minutes versus waiting several weeks. So I think that's something that can easily be done in that short period of me time that doesn't even take up all of it. But I think uh, the, the other big takeaway here is that, and I feel like we all think this, that we don't think the bad things are going to happen to us. And what was heartening about this study was how dedicated a generation, I'm you know, millennial myself, that gets a bad rep for being very selfish, how selfless they are as parents and how dedicated they are to you know, creating a next generation of children that really is compassionate and cares about others and is going to be a well-rounded adult. But what they're really not doing is protecting their ability to give that life to their child, which is what you do when you have life insurance, when you've saved for college and when you have an emergency fund. It keeps you, your family from being in financial duress and allows you to make sure you can keep up with your best of intentions, basically. A lot of good stuff here. And once again, I'll link to it in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Sorry, OG couldn't be here, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm, I'm so glad you stopped Next by. Next time. Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, here you come right now. Where did you go? Oh, you know, I do the thing about the stuff. It's just, it's. It's it's so amazing. Brittany Burgett was just down here. I'll oh, how come you didn't tell me she was coming? I, I, I'd, have, I'd have hung out. We're doing the, the headlines. You're here every day for the headlines, except Brittany comes down and, and not that. But let's go on to headline number two. This comes to us from Investment News. Five counseling steps to make better financial planning decisions. This is written by Jeff Benjamin. It says, widely viewed as the softer side of financial planning, financial counseling is gaining traction as the latest adjunct to holistic advisory practices. Some firms are using counselors for referrals, while others are employing techniques to get clients and prospects in the kind of financial shape to make them better financial planning clients. So this is kind of cool. Financial planners either teaming up with counselors or referring people to counselors first so people can get some of the basics done. I find that, that really interesting. When it comes to financial planning businesses, sometimes financial advisors specialize in a specific area, whether it's, you know, working with physicians or newly married couples or what have you. Ultimately, you got to have something to do, right? I mean, you got to have a little bit of money to start your financial journey. And sometimes if you are starting in the hole, it makes the most sense to stop digging, get out of the hole and then get on track and then start working with an advisor. So these are great referral sources for financial advisors because they help make sure that clients are doing the right things to get out of the, you know, the trouble or the mess they might find themselves in. And I don't mean mess bad, like they did something wrong. It just might be, you know, it might be, you know, student loans or something. They right. just, you know, work on that stuff. It doesn't make any sense to, to start dumping money into a retirement plan if you're paying, you know, 28% on credit cards or something, you know. Let me go over just a couple of these. Uh, number one on this little slideshow, I'll link to it our show notes at stackybedjamins.com. But number one on this is educate clients and sound financial principles, focus on spending and saving habits, emerging funds, cash flow basics, using credit, good debt versus bad debt, living within your means. You know, this is the kind of stuff that you hope that families talk about. But yeah. as we've talked about before, in my family, we never talked about any of that. So having having somebody in my corner helping me with that as a stepping stone, great place to start. I heard a radio program this morning. I was taking my son to baseball and just had it on the AM radio. And there's it was a one of those financial advisor call-in radio programs. Oh, yeah. One of the things that he was talking about was the two things that we suck at the most as people, we get no education on, relationships and money. 
And, you know, you got to learn that stuff through, unfortunately, a lot of times people learn it through trial and error, but this is a great resource or it could be a great resource for the education piece. Next is to help clients develop and prioritize goals, both short and long-term focus on strategies and behaviors by identifying milestones. Uh, part of that's financial planners actually do a lot of that, but maybe doing some digging to just get people in the right you know frame of mind is where, where they are. Deal with consumer debt, getting consumer debt under mm-hmm. control, uh, developing and implementing a household budget. You know, some of these things, OG, when I was a financial planner, I wanted to help people with, we just didn't have enough time. Like the time it would cost versus of, of, of my time, to help them be in the trench doing that just didn't make sense for them to spend that kind of time with me. So often I'd have to recommend a book or something, you know, yeah. uh, send them home with some resources. But if there's financial counselors now that will will do that and, uh, you know, the cost benefits there, that's great. And last is Perfect. identify money behaviors, which having somebody look over your shoulder and go, you know, you spend a lot of money on juicy fruit. <laughs> I hope nobody looks over my shoulder and sees what I spend money on. <laughs> like, you own stock in Jack Daniels? You must. You have to. You're supporting the whole neighborhood? What's going that's on what, there? That's what I tell my kids. I'm like, why are all the lights on? Do we own stock in the electric company? <laughs> Back to the Jack Daniels. They're like, so uh, so you having a party at your house? As you walk <laughs> up to the thing, you're like, no. Eh, no, this is Tuesday. <laughs> Got to reload. Getting ready for some fun. Get ready for hump day. Yeah. So I think the lessons from our headlines, number one, if you're a parent, super, super expensive OG. We'll have to talk about that later, what Brittany talked about. But man, super expensive being a parent. And Turns out that's true. You don't get a lot of free time, only 55 minutes. So, you know, use apps and things to make life easier for you. Automation, baby. Automation for the win. And then second, financial counseling. Maybe you don't need a financial counselor, but making sure you got the basics in order at your house. It's step one on the long journey to getting your act together. Not sure, OG, what I can say about Aaron Lowry that just is going to sound like not enough. This is one of my favorite personal finance writers. She has an amazing style. She's not only super, super quick and incisive with the way that she writes, but man, does she just cut to the heart of the matter. She writes at Broke Millennial, but she has appeared everywhere. Her writing has been in New York Magazine, Forbes, U.S. News and World Report, and on Business Insider and Thought Catalog. Some of her many opinions, and Aaron has an opinion or two, have been featured on USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, and on CBS Sunday Morning, NBC News, Finery 21, Marketplace Money, and Mashable. She is uh, somebody who I feel very lucky I've known for a few years. And let's uh, say hello again to our old friend, Aaron Lowry. And Aaron Lowry joins us in the basement. Have a seat. How are you? Good. I'm really liking this beanbag chair. Uh, is, lime green is actually my favorite color, so that's really cool. That's good, but you like my burnt orange? Or is this called burnt sienna? Remember that crayon? No, that might have been before my time, that crayon. <laughs> so I don't remember that one, but I'm liking how this lime green kind of interacts with the burnt. Did you just say sienna? Burnt sienna. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like how you, immediately you point out that you're a millennial and I'm an old guy. 
Hey, I got to bring it in right off the bat. That's part <laughs> That's of good. what we do. I don't want to talk about that though, Aaron. I want to talk about <laughs> Krispy Kreme donuts because you had me at the beginning of this book when you're talking Krispy Kremes. I'm like, it's my favorite book ever. So tell me how Krispy Kremes changed your life. You know, I think I'm just going to do the opening sentence because I started to develop like a Morgan Freeman narrating oh, voice. Oh, nice. Good. Already. In the summer of 1996, <laughs> a glazed Krispy Kreme donut changed my life. Well, okay. Not just one donut. Five dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. And that's so- <laughs> that's what I thought, by the way. I'm like, she picks out like I do. Like I like Karen even more, but I was disappointed that you weren't eating five dozen Krispy Kremes. Yes, I do apologize. My seven-year-old self was not eating. So that age is me. It was 1996 when I was seven. I'm now 27. Uh, so I was not eating five dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. I was strategically hawking them to the suburbanites that was coming to my mom's yard sale. And when I was seven, you had very limited income earning opportunities. So uh, my friendship bracelet making business had gone belly up and I was occasionally babysitting the demonic cat that lived next door. And I'm serious. This cat would like hide behind a couch when it heard me coming and then would fly out hissing and like claws in the air. It was really aggressive. So you didn't want that job anymore. No. Well, I still did it because I was money hungry even as a child. But I figured out that if I sold Krispy Kreme donuts at my mom's yard sale, then I was going to be able to make a little money. And what I really wanted to buy was a Nerf gun super soaker. So I was so in vogue at the time. And I was a pool kid, so I'd always hang out at the pool. And uh, I figured out that I could leverage this Krispy Kreme moment. And I asked my dad to stake me. So he offered to drive because, again, I was seven. So he had to drive to Krispy Kreme. He paid for the upfront cost to buy the donuts. And then I recruited my younger sister, who has these, like, massive baby blue eyes, to please help me sell them. So already at seven, Aaron, you know marketing. You're like, I need her. Oh. For, she's my marketing department. To this day, people give my sister free stuff, like Tangent. But it's unbelievable that... You know, she's a beautiful woman, but it's hilarious that like we were at Dave and Buster's in Hawaii and some guy just walked up to her and goes, hey, I'm leaving. I don't need this game card anymore. Do you want it? And she's like, sure. We're assuming there's five dollars on it. There was fifty dollars left on this game card. You're kidding me. No. And it's not like he was asking for her number or doing anything salacious. It was just like, hey, I'm leaving. Here you go. So that's my sister in a nutshell. And so I recruited her at four at the time to help sell these donuts So long story short, we sell them out. And at the end, my dad comes over and I've got this pile of quarters. Say I had about 20 bucks on the table, this little Fisher Price table. And I'm pretty happy. I can get two super soakers. That's what I'm thinking. And he goes, well, you know, I did have to buy the donuts for you. And then Kaylin worked for you for a little bit because, you know, she was four and lost interest and wandered off. So you owe me $8 for the donuts and let's pay Kaylin $2 and then $10 is your net profit. And then he took the money. It wasn't this like learning moment where he explained it. He actually took it from me. So I went from 20 to 10 real fast. I'm surprised he didn't also withhold taxes with the stories with your dad. Actually, that was a Halloween specific thing. He did do candy tax because he chaperoned our trick-or-treating and he would come in and take the premium candy like the Skittles and the Snickers. Be like, well, we chaperoned you, so you wouldn't have this candy if it weren't for us supporting you. So, boom, you owe us some. I was a Kit Kat guy. The Kit Kats were gone. Go Delicious. get me. Go back to that house and ask again. Let's change your costume. Send you back for more, so we can get those. 
Well, but as a kid, you start to figure out loopholes. Like if you have pockets in your costume, you can sneak the premium candy into your pockets. So then when you dump it out at home and your dad goes to snake some, all the good stuff's already in your pockets and he can't get to it. <laughs> I got tricky real quick. Already, already scheming, beating the man, just beating the man. You have a story about your good friend, Lizzie, and the two of you are having some coffees. She talks about how money stresses her out. And why, why does money stress out so many millennials? I think it's the same reason it stresses everybody out. You don't know it well enough and you're allowing it to have this control over you. So there's kind of two options here. You control your money or your money controls you. And it's really common that not just millennial generation, all generations, that people let money control them. And it's primarily because they stick their heads in the sand and they don't want to deal with it. So whether that's not facing your numbers, if you have debt, whether that's not running a cash flow, fancy word for budget, you know, whatever it is, if you're not harnessing and controlling it, then it's just going to stress you out. Which is funny because you harness and control it. It sounds like you are a lot less stressed out. Doing the thing that you don't think you want to do stresses you out less. And it might be temporarily a little stressful, especially if you have debt, because facing those numbers certainly is stressful. It is nice to be just paying minimums on everything month to month and be like, oh, I don't want to deal with it. But think about how much, especially with compound interest, that's ballooning up. So getting a handle on it now, and maybe it takes two, three years, maybe it takes 10 years, whatever it is, you know, you have an end date to be responsible and be in charge and not have that burden on your back anymore. Use all of these uh, delicious analogies during, during the course of the book. I'm laughing all the way through it. The, uh, you and peach getting naked is pretty hilarious. Finding out is financially naked. Yes, 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 that's right. (laughs) Not that kind of book, but, but you talk about on that note, you ask if your money's a Tinder date or is it marriage? What does that mean? Well, for your boomer listeners, I'm just kidding, but, um, (laughs) explain what Tinder is to the old guy. No, don't do that. If you're not familiar with the concept (laughs) of Tinder, it is a dating app, AKA hookup app in which you swipe left or swipe right on whether or not you want to meet up with someone in real life and, Having a great old time with him. Yes, right. Um, So quick background on Tinder in case you are unaware. So basically, I I break down this chapter to kind of say a, a big part of money is emotional. A lot of books and a lot of articles, and they focus on the rational, the logical, the mathematical, especially approach to money. That's not how anyone in real life approaches money. Even if you're in economics, even if you are, you know, highest level Warren Buffett, he still will make emotional decisions in his life. Hard to believe, but it actually does happen. And so this chapter kind of takes you through this process of figuring out what is your emotional relationship to money? How do you understand that better? How do you address your psychological blocks that you might have? And no matter how great of a relationship you do have with money or how wonderful your parents were in talking money or not talking money to you, you're going to have a hang up. And I even address that mine specifically is I'm hyper frugal in a lot of ways. And in our community, in our personal finance community, a lot of people see that as a big positive. But at the same time, I kind of think back on some of the things that I have missed out on in terms of experiences and developing relationships because I just wanted to earn money or I didn't want to spend the money. So a big part of the process is learning what you value. And that's a big thing that I kind of push throughout the book is you need to identify that for yourself. And a big part of this chapter that you're referring to the is money a Tinder date or marriage material is getting yourself past any psychological blocks that you might have and how you can do that. I want to dig into the psychological blocks in a second, but you touched on something I think is important. 
which is this uh, FinCon community, which I'm a, I'm a member of too, the financial community and, you know, great Facebook chats, nerdiest room ever, right? On Facebook, nerdiest closed group. But it's funny that you really are who you surround yourself with. Because I found myself, you know, the more we talk about that stuff, the more I think it's fun. And I'm the opposite of Lizzie because of that, where if I don't spend a lot of time there, I'm completely the opposite and I, I still get stressed out about money. And it's interesting how we kind of self-select. I mean, that's true in life in all sorts of different areas. But I got asked recently by someone, well, what do you do when your friends are big spenders? Like me specifically, not in terms of a general question. And I really had to pause for a moment because I don't really spend a lot of time with people that are big spenders. And most of my real life friends are not money nerds. They just are people that value experiences that value having open conversations about money. I know what most of my friends make in terms of salary. Now that's a bit of chicken or egg. Is it because I write about money and they want to talk to me about money or is it just because that's how they are? It's, it's very fascinating to me. I really only have one friend that I can think of that's a big time spender, but he knows better than when he's hanging out with me. That's not what we're going to be doing. <laughs> Let's go through some of these uh, some of these scenarios that people have in their brain, because I really like these and I'd love for you to walk through these. Uh, scenario number one is your mom and dad or, or parents or people around your house. They constantly argued about money. What does that do to you? It really can kind of take one of two paths. The most common one is that you're afraid of money and you just don't want to deal with money. Now, some people do kind of 180 and go to the other extreme where they become hyper vigilant about finances. They really want to educate themselves because they don't want to go through the same cycle that their parents went through. But I will say more often than not, you see that what happens is if your parents fought about money, you probably are going to bring that into a relationship. And it's going to be something that really stresses you out. The second scenario is you were scolded for asking about money. That was my family, Aaron. You didn't talk about money. Money was my parents' business. We never, ever spoke about it. This is really prevalent, even today. You know, we're trying to break down the taboo, and there Wait are a, a lot you, of resources. When out you there say to talk even today, money. that's another old guy comment. <laughs> You've done it twice now. I mean, like millennials are parents now, and they're still doing this. <laughs> even though we're past the horse and buggy days, Joe, we still do that. It's amazing. Thanks. All right, fine. Let's back it up. Let me rewind. <laughs> Ooh. So one thing I've noticed, regardless of when you grew up, okay. Anyway, then, much better. So part of it really is that if you were scolded about money, you don't want to ask about money. It's also probably going to be a lot harder for you get to, to get financially naked with your partner, which if that term sounds strange, it just means going through the process of talking money with your loved one, especially anybody that you're going to marry or are already married to. And these are people that are probably more likely to hand over their financial life to someone else. If you get married or move in with someone and you don't want to deal with the bills and you don't want to deal with investing and financial planning for your future, you just kind of offload it, which can put you in a very vulnerable situation. It's not any situation I ever recommend somebody being in. You should have a seat at the table, even if you are not a primary breadwinner in your relationship. You need to at least know where the accounts are, how much money you have. You should be going to conversations with your partner and a financial planner as well. If you don't have a partner, what is it, an accountability partner? I mean, do you still talk to somebody about it or is it you? I would really recommend anybody a little further into their phase of life than like starting out your career. This is not an old guy reference. <laughs> this is just a what is financially beneficial to doing it. But if you're single, there will likely come a time that you need to be speaking to a professional about your money. 
And I think a big part of that is that we go back to that emotional thing. You are not necessarily the best ones to make decisions about your own money because you have an emotional relationship to it. And maybe you won't be as aggressive of an investor because mom and dad lost a bunch of money in the stock market and it makes you too nervous. So you're way too conservative at too young an age in your life. Or maybe it's on the flip side and you're way too aggressive and you're actually pushing retirement and so much of your money's in stocks and you need to kind of balance out your portfolio. Having another set of eyes there really helps you. But I also love accountability partners. If you're trying to pay down debt, find a friend who's doing it too and work together. Most of the time we're going to be more successful if someone else can hold us accountable or if we just have somebody to share this news with. Almost like what we were just talking about with the close Facebook group that you and I are in, where it, it, it just, you are what you surround yourself with. Third scenario you have here, Aaron, is you assumed everything was okay until it wasn't. When I was a financial planner, I ran into this one all the time. This is something that I think of 08 as a perfect example where your family is technically living paycheck to paycheck. Those paychecks could have been huge, but it was a paycheck to paycheck scenario. And I kind of outlined it in the book as, you know, you always got presents on your birthday and Christmas. There's new cars relatively recently. You have a comfortable house. And then all of a sudden, dad or mom loses their job. Dad or mom gets sick something happens that drastically shifts the family's financial situation and every trapping of wealth that you have just disappears. Gone. Yeah. And the other part of it is could be that like you were okay all the way through your childhood. This was never an issue. But now that you're starting to learn about money, you're kind of thinking on about how your parents spent when you were growing up and what they earn. And you kind of have a better gauge of that information. And all of a sudden you're realizing, huh, they might not have enough money saved for end of life care. They might not have enough saved in order to be able to retire. And then you need to start thinking, is that going to be part of my financial plan? Am I going to be taking care of my parents? And that's a very difficult conversation to have, but certainly one that needs to happen. You going to take care of your parents since he stole your candy? They are already all set. We have had this conversation (laughs) and they initiated it. They did. Oh, that's cool. They're after this financial, former financial planner's part. I got to send your parents a star. Uh, let's talk specifically about the book for a minute because this is an awesome book. What I like most about it, Aaron, is that you set it up a lot like a Tim Ferriss book where, where, where you don't have to read the whole thing. You read the first couple chapters and those chapters tell you, hey, if you're dealing with this, read these chapters. You're dealing with this stuff, read these other ones. I really like that setup. Was that from the very beginning uh, or, or were you just channeling Tim Ferriss? So first of all, thanks for the big compliment. And dad, if you're listening, woohoo. My dad's a huge Tim Ferriss fan, as am I. But I would say that that's how I pitched it. There is a certain term for what this book is like that I cannot use because it is trademarked, so I won't use it. But it's a pick your own financial path twist and you can extrapolate on what perhaps that other term is. And I did write it originally to make it so you didn't have to read it cover to cover, partially because personal finance is personal. So you need to be able to navigate a book to just focus on what you want to focus on. And I really wanted to push it that way. I'm also honing in on the millennial attention span and realizing that I might not keep people captivated, even with storytelling from cover to cover. And the joke that I like to use that my mom thinks is a bit crass is you can take it into the bathroom, learn something about money, and there you go. (laughs) I'm... Uh, I don't know what to do with that. I, 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 have, I have no <laughs> idea. I think we're going to leave that one right there. But, <laughs> but let's go through some of the chapters because you talk about you talk about buying a house. You talk about talking to financial professionals. You talk about uh, picking the right financial products. 
uh, your credit report. Man, there's a little something for everybody. I mean, retirement, investing, you can't afford to split the dinner bill evenly. I like that one. Uh Uh-oh. I really love that chapter primarily because I get to use the term full-on Lady Hulk in the story that I tell because that's me when I get really mad. And uh, it's talking about the emotional side of it. You know, the beginning of it does kind of take you through all of the 101s, the building blocks of personal finance, understanding your credit, how you handle a credit card, paying off debt, gets into some of the meatier things like student loans. But if you don't have student loans, skip on over to, hey, I really can't afford to split this dinner bill evenly. And I give some practical tips about how to handle it that goes beyond just say no, because that's not always the most rational response (laughs) to someone. And that's not the advice that everybody's going to take. I do get very tongue in cheek in a couple of sections. So a little, this is, not, think? This is not handholding. I will <laughs> say that there's no preaching and finger wagging, but at the same time, it's not me. It's all rainbows and unicorns and gold stars and participation trophies. I do like to play and riff on a lot of the millennial stereotypes throughout this book. The book's called Broke Millennial Stop Scraping By and Get Your Financial Life Together. One last thing for you. How cool was it to have a two page spread in uh, Cosmo? That was unreal. I used to read that magazine from, I I lived in Asia growing up. And so any flight from transatlantic Japan to China or Japan and China back to the U.S., I would read that. And so all of a sudden, I mean, teenage Aaron would have freaked out. Grown up Aaron freaked out too. But teenage Aaron would have been like, wow, college decisions are much less stressful because I'm going to be successful. (laughs) Grown up Joe would have freaked out. Are you kidding me? That was so cool. Congratulations. Fantastic book. Available everywhere, right? Yes, everywhere books are sold. And we'll have a link on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks a ton for hanging out with us, Aaron. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome back to your favorite part of the show. Yeah, my trivia. You're in for a special treat because not only do you get another Doug-certified fact to impress your friends, but even before that, I'm going to share how this dude's not going to be a broke post-millennial, if you know what I mean. Check this out. So I've been thinking about this broke business, and it's time to put it to a stop. People work better in accountability groups, so I'm announcing right here on this very show that I'm going to start a club, and you're invited. We'll storm the beaches of wealth like pirates hunting treasure, and because we're all for one and one for all, we're all going to be rich. So just like pirates, today only, I'm inviting everyone to join what we're calling Doug's exclusive Booty Chasing Club. (laughs) That's got a sweet ring to it. Here's how it's going to work. I'll ask you to join, and then you'll like chasing booty so much, you'll get 10 of your friends to join. Amazing. It's practically raining money already. Hallelujah. Hey, on that note, let's get this trivia thing moving, shall we? Here's a company that gets lots of friends to join. How many billions did Amway, including all of its sister companies, report in sales for 2015? I'll have the amazing answer and more about my booty chasing club right after this. There's a lot of misinformation on student loans out there, but one company, SoFi, spelled S-O-F-I, is attempting to cut through it all by providing better financial education co-founder Dan Macklin explains. If I was to sum up the education in a couple of ways, in two ways, it would be one, borrow as little as you can while you're at school. It sounds obvious, but some people I think just don't think about it because all their friends are spending money. Um, But really think long and hard about what you're spending. But then the second piece of advice is once you've graduated and you have a job, 
think about whether it makes sense to refinance your debt. Because for many people, they're overpaying on that debt and they could get a much better rate if they refinanced. Seems like great advice, doesn't it? Spend less, score lower interest rates. According to other sponsor, Magnify Money, SoFi is a leader in every area that they compete in. So whether it's a student loan, a mortgage, or even a personal loan, SoFi has you taken care of. Why pay more than you have to when you could be contributing more to your retirement instead? SoFi doesn't ask you to be a millionaire to use their services, but you do have to be responsible with your money and you know who you are. Start working your money better today. Visit SoFi at stackybenjamins.com forward slash S-O-F-I. That's stackybenjamins.com forward slash S-O-F-I. You know, down here in the basement, we only like to partner with companies we're proud to put our name behind. So we're excited to announce our newest sponsor to the Stacky Benjamin Show, M1 Finance. Recently sat down with Brian Barnes, CEO and founder, and asked him what makes M1 Finance unique. M1 is one of the only automated investing platforms that allows you to customize the portfolio that you invest in. It creates a lot more engagement and fun in investing while still being easy and low cost. Anybody who's tried online investing tools or used to compromises, do you pick a traditional self-directed brokerage that hits you with commissions at every trade or an automated machine makes you hand over the reins? Don't compromise. Scratch out commissions at every turn, take back control of your own portfolio, and take advantage of the uniqueness that's M1 Finance. Takes minutes to sign up. Start by heading over to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance. M1 Finance, be invested. Disclaimer, by the way, both Cheryl, my spouse, and I use M1 Finance. It works for us, but you need to do your own homework. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this booty chasing club is going to be awesome. Check this out. Based on my recent Amway research, more on that in a second, here's how we'll kick this up a notch. I'll chase 10 of you for booties and charge you each 10 bucks. Then you'll each chase 10 booties and pass $2 of it on to me. Those 10 are going to grab 10 booties, charge them 10 bucks. They're going to pass $2 up to you, and it just keeps on moving up the ladder. See, it's simple. I can't believe nobody's ever thought of this. You know, if I wasn't so humble, I'd say I'm probably brilliant. Which brings us to our brilliant trivia answer. Earlier, I asked you this question. How many billions in sales did Amway, including its sister companies, report in sales for 2015? The answer, 9.5 billion dollars. Ka-ching, baby! Now, who's ready to join me on my path to financial freedom? Who wants to go grab some of your own booty? Let's do this! That might not mean what he thinks it means. Yeah, you think? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. What a racket, that $9.5 billion. There's some tolerably decent products in there, isn't there? Oh, with Amway? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I thought that's what you're getting no. some business. No, no, no. They sell major products. I mean, major stuff. Just, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And they also sell the Secretary of Education. <laughs> sold her <laughs> to the government? Yeah. We had to get one Secretary of Education, then she goes and gets three more. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's 
or rather life insurance's most important questions, our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency. They've been spearheading innovation within the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most, your family and your time. It's why they created a high quality and most importantly, affordable term life insurance policy you can purchase entirely online. No need to wait several weeks for a decision when you can get one right now with Haven Life. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to learn more about life insurance the modern way. That's stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Thanks again, by the way, to uh, Brittany Burgett from Haven Life for coming on down. But today we're throwing out the lifeline to our new friend, Andy. Say hello, Andy. Hey, Joe and OG. My question is in regards to international stock was over the last 20 years, international equities have underperformed, been more expensive and more volatile than their domestic counterparts. Does it make sense to continue to invest in international stocks, even though they're riskier, more expensive, and haven't done as well as American stocks? Thanks in advance for your response. Excellent question, Andy. And uh, we'll turn that right over to the man. OG, what are you thinking? And the answer to that, of course, is of course we should, because half the world's gross domestic product is produced outside the United States. Now, granted, the U.S. has, as a single country, the largest percentage of that at 52 percent of the world's GDP. So we control the vast majority of any single country's exposure to the world's markets. And also, you know, our stock market is pretty straightforward and regulated. Right. You know, there's not a lot of hanky panky going on much to. Michael Lewis's chagrin. There's probably a book out there somewhere that somebody's doing some fiber optic trading that's screwing the low guy or something, I guess. But yeah, right. Michael Lewis, trade flash boys. I got you. You know what I'm talking about or you completely lost? You're staring at me like a deer in the headlights. I'm with you, brother. Oh, you're with me so far. Okay. All right. Because I ramble sometimes. I mean, did you catch the Rangers game the other day? No, anyway, just kidding. (laughs) International stocks and U.S. stocks are what we call not correlated, or maybe they're kind of quasi-correlated. So correlation is a metric that we look at when we're building investment portfolios to find things that don't behave the same. So they may zig when the other things zag, for example. And just looking at some pieces of information, one years, five years, 10 years correlation, the longer you go out, the more likely they are to be similar. But if you look at the S&P 500 versus, for example, an emerging markets fund, that correlation is less than 0.6, which means that there is virtually no correlation to that at all. That means that there is no matching. U.S. stocks do their thing. Emerging market stocks do their thing. One doesn't rely on the other. That's what we're talking about here. So I think it really is important to have a little bit of everything because you don't know when those certain areas of the market are going to underperform or outperform. And that's built in diversification, built in rebalancing, which allows you to buy low and sell high. Right. There's two things that worry me about what Andy's talking about. The first thing is whenever we look at what things have done really over the short term is where internationals lagged. And he's right. It's been a number of years now that it's lagged. But remember when gold was just dead in the water forever And there were a group of people that just said, you know, you shouldn't invest in gold anymore because gold is gone. I started hearing this thing. And of course, then gold went on a tear like it does because gold plays dead forever and then goes on tears. That's what happens. So the longer that international underperforms, the more I I worry that people are going to get rid of it right when we need that part of the portfolio. The other thing that I like to think about is when we look at investments, 
we look at building portfolios that manage risk and return. And it's funny that international stocks being more aggressive than U.S. stocks, when you add international stocks to a portfolio along with U.S. stocks, you can, even though international is more aggressive, you actually decrease the risk because you're investing in a couple different things. Um, So I like international as the comeback kid. At some point, I don't know when that is. And I also think that uh, we decrease risk by having more of these volatile investments in there. In fact, it's cool because people think that taking U.S. stocks and adding bonds to them is the way to go. You could actually add two or three asset classes that are more hardcore, you know, that bounce around a lot more. And you actually decrease the risk. You could decrease the risk quite a bit by having three or four different asset classes that, like you said, aren't correlated, Right putting those in a portfolio together. I'm looking at a great chart. We could probably link to this that an investment company puts out. Oh, I mean, shoot, you could probably Google it and find it yourself. It's called a quilt chart. You've seen these before, Joe. And basically it's a collection of, you know, what's the ranking highest to lowest in any calendar year. And this is through MFS, uh, an investment company, but I just Googled it real fast while we were talking. And international in 1998, 1999, were number two both years. They were number two to large cap growth. So large cap growth was 38%, international 20. 99, large cap growth was 33, international was 27. And then of course we know what happened in 2000, 2001, 2002, but then here's international again in second place, 2003, four, five, six. 2007, they were in third place. And in those years they were quote unquote losing to REITs and commodities. Large cap, you know, U.S. companies wasn't even on the radar those years. Led so the, we can't predict led, any of this stuff. Yeah. International led the way when it came to stocks. Yeah. And when you look at this, I hate this chart, by the way. But what you see when you look at it is that there is no pattern. So what's number one? You know, what was number one in 2016? Small cap. What was second from the bottom? International. <laughs> you know. And the year before that, international was right in the middle. The year before that, it was at the bottom. The year before that, it was in the middle. The year before that, it was at the top, actually. 2012 uh, was up uh, 18%. So ultimately, when it comes to all of these different asset classes, like you said, you want to layer them on top of one another because they each have different characteristics. And more importantly, like you said, Joe, it drives the overall volatility of the portfolio lower. Thanks for the question, Andy. If you've got a question for the show, the Haven Lifeline, we'll throw that out to you. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail or just go to Stacking Benjamins and you'll see Ask a Question and click that tab and you'll find the Haven Lifeline there too. And let's hit the letters net. Doug just brought down the mail. Where where are you going? He's he's going to the bath, bathroom. Uh, all right. OG's off to the bathroom again. Uh, our first letter is from Charlie. Charlie says, Dear Joe and OG, love the show and don't worry. I've learned absolutely nothing. Thank you. I have a question regarding student loans. My coworkers devised a strategy to never pay off their student loans, never stop being a student. By their understanding of student loan rules, as long as you're still a student, they won't force collection on your student loans. Also, they believe that the loans are discharged or forgiven in death. So, as long as you're a student until the day you die, you'll never have to pay off your loans and you've beaten the system. So he's on the path to getting multiple PhDs and master's degrees in the hopes to never stop going to school and accruing more and more student debt with every degree. Putting aside issues of being in a mountain of debt, 
and how that will affect their ability to get other loans in the future, I have to imagine that this is dangerously incorrect. However, I can't really point to where it's wrong. Assuming no cosigner on the loan, how would the student loans get collected on? A while back on your show, you talked about how eventually student loans can be garnished from Social Security checks. Is that how it would happen here? Or will they take it out of probate after they die, force your kids or widow to pay? Or as my coworker found a loophole, thanks for the insight and keep up the work. You know, it's funny. We're talking about this. What? Who's Adam Carroll walking down my stairs? What are you doing here? Joe, Joe, what's up? Hey, I wanted to quick uh, come in and help you while OG's in the bathroom because I heard him go in there. So, But, but what's funny, did well, you hear that question? I did. I just heard it from upstairs. I was talking to your mom. We were having tea. So I wanted to come down and chat with you about this. By the way, lovely Afghan in the corner. Thank you. I didn't you. know that orange and brown and pink went together so nicely. It's the new trend. 2018, Let, I heard. Let's talk about this question because on the one hand, it's true. It on is, the one hand, it is it's true. true. So, so wait a minute. This guy, this coworker, can go to school for the rest of his life, build up a mountain of debt. When he dies, it's all written off and no, no problem. Yes. Someone could enter school as Van Wilder and leave as Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> and they will never, if they stay in school, they will never have to pay that off. Now, I will tell you this. There are satisfactory progress standards within schools. So someone could go to a community college and take six credit hours a semester but it has to be progressing towards something or else the college or university or institute of higher learning will begin to escort them out. They'll, they'll begin to insist that they get a degree or they pursue something else. And so, yes, it's possible, but here's the analogy I would give. It's like trying to outrun an avalanche. Uh, At some point that avalanche is going to overtake you. And you can imagine what it would be like to try and go through school for 25 years, how depressing and demeaning and just overwhelming that would be over time. I was thinking about that at some point. You're like, what am I doing? Everybody else here is 22. I'm 87 and I'm I'm, (laughs) I'm wasting these hours of my life just so I don't have to pay back this mountain of debt. Well, you know, I like to project out my life 25 years and imagine what it might be like. I can't imagine what someone who has multiple PhDs thinks when they project out 25 years and success for them looks like outrunning the ballooning debt that they've managed to acquire over half of their life. So I just can't imagine that's success. That would make mom so proud. It would, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, no ethics. Oh, that's fantastic. So what you're saying is potentially if I've got multiple PhDs, a college can say, yeah, this this program's not for you because you're overqualified. In, in other words, this person might run out of options of classes to actually take. They might. They might absolutely. Now, here's the thing. What they're counting on is a loophole in the student loan program right now. And that loophole is that student loan forgiveness, you know, the the line item in the program. That will go away. There's no question in my mind. It's sort of like when we simplify the tax code, we add 400 pages At some point, they're going to simplify what goes on in student loans and take away some of those loopholes. So we're counting on something staying there for the next 25 or 30 years that will surely not stick around, not with the level of debt that that our country is acquiring at a record pace, I might add. This is one of the weirdest questions I've ever gotten, and I'm so happy that you were walking through the neighborhood, apparently, here to help us answer it. We have to, while I have you here, you've got some new news about your awesome film, Broke, Busted, and Disgusted. Tell me what's going on. So we we got picked up by CNBC. It is airing on CNBC throughout 2017. We are uh, in talks with Netflix, and my hope is that all of your listeners can stream it on Netflix very soon. 
And we're working with some really big name financial players who would like to use the film as part of their homepage and sort of a, uh, I guess, call it a, a lead generation magnet for people that come to their site. So we've got some really cool stuff going on. And I'll tell you this, we've had dozens upon dozens upon dozens of stories of students who have said, hey, I told my parents right after I graduate high school, I'm not going to college. Oh, And it's been a really interesting series of conversations we've had with them because their parents are not happy. And they say, I'm going to go at some point. I'm just not going to go right now. And we consider that a win. You're changing lives, Mr. Carroll. Isn't that cool? Well, thank you, sir. Yes. That is cool. That's great. It is cool. And I'm, it proud is to, cool. I'm proud to say I knew you before you were the amazing celebrity you are now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm such a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out in basements. That's right. Yeah, right. Oh, you know what? Wait a minute. Did you hear that? I did. OG just flushed. I got to get out of here. Can I come back to the basement, though, at some point when you and OG are around? If we can have you, absolutely. But, you know, getting yes. Adam Carroll's attention, the bigger he gets, that stuff. Yeah, right, right. I'm going to go finish tea with your mom. I'll uh, see you soon. You do that. And we'll have a link to Broke, Busted, and Disgusted in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com so you can check it out. What's wrong with your bowels today? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> twice, twice during one show. Adam Carroll was here. I was the ice machine. I was, I was getting ice. Broke, Busted, Disgusted. Yeah. No, it's, it certainly sounded like a flush. So no, it, nope. It was the water ice machine flush from from the refrigerator. Man, big thanks to everybody who appeared on today's show. I we really appreciate them coming down to the basement. What a crazy episode, OG, to kick off this eight weeks. I can't wait for everybody to see what we've got planned from from now on. Thanks to everybody who also has left us a review. Remember, by the way, if you think you need better financial planning in your corner and you want to find out about working with OG, he's back to taking clients again, which means that you can schedule time with him to talk about what your goals are and exactly how he would help. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash the letter O and the letter G. And I also have to say one more time, special thanks to our brand new sponsor. They're going to be sponsoring just the Monday shows, OG, M1 Finance, and that's M1Finance.com. And when you go there, so that they know that we're sending lots of people their way, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance. That's going to do it, dude. We did it. Another one down. We'll see everybody back here on Wednesday because we have the real truth about Monopoly. Mary Pallon coming down to the basement, New York Times writer, also Wall Street Journal writer, and she wrote this phenomenal book called The Monopolist. All that stuff you think about this guy, Charles Darrow, who created the game Monopoly, got rich. Not quite true. There's a lot more behind it, and she's going to share that story with us on Wednesday. Plus, as always, a lot more. We'll see you then. So what did we learn today? And by we, I mean the royal we. First, Aaron Lowry's right. Tired of feeling like a broke millennial? Consider your personality, your upbringing, and then set up systems to help you win in the game of life. Second, kids? They're expensive, which is why it's not surprising people aren't saving for the future. While you're helping Junior finish his homework, maybe opening up a 529 plan for college can make things easier and less expensive down the road. But the big lesson? People really like the idea of joining a booty chasing club. Gertrude told me how she hasn't chased booty in years, and when I told all those guys at the bar that they could get some booty for just 10 bucks, they were fighting to be first in line. I'm taking this idea down to the Sizzler. Special thanks to Aaron Lowry. You can find her new book in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com 
or her site, brokemillennial.com. Special thanks to Adam Carroll. You can find the documentary at our show notes or at brokebustedanddisgusted.com. Special thanks to Brittany Bergen. You can find more on Haven Life and their cost of parenting study in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Pretty much, you can find everything in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SP Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Sihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to Joe's mom for convincing OG to lay off the ice cream. Somebody's just a little lactose intolerant. Got to say a big shout out to the newest member of our team. Shannon Cohen is our new community manager, and she helps us make sure that we are on social media much, much more often than we have. We're sporadic. Oh, gee, you know that. We've, <laughs> I know a thing or two about being sporadic on social media. <laughs> we, just, we are so sporadic. So she's helping us. Plus, uh, the stacker hasn't come out. Lately, it's come out every week. But we really want our newsletter, The Stacker, to come out more often. So we're very, very happy that Shannon is with us. But Shannon also is uh, is crazy and uh, crazy in a good way. And she's got great stories. And today we're going to share this story that Shannon's uncle is in the hair business. And he wrote Shannon this note. He said an 82-year-old customer of his son. So not the 82-year-old, the 82-year-old son. Son. Got it. Got his parents and his in-laws a very special Christmas present this last year. He saw online that there was a uh, certain type of business filing bankruptcy and they were a great bargain. So he bought his 82-year-old parents and his in-laws discount caskets as this few... As this funeral parlor was going nice. out of business. You get it while the getting's good. How do you, how do you, do you just put a big bow on that? It's uh, like the Lexus commercial with the big bow out in the driveway. The season to remember event. Brought to you by Gephardt and Sons. The Grim Reaper. Brought to you by the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, Dad, you're looking a little old. Uh, like when you're not a lot of Christmases left, huh, old man? Am I right? When when you're 82 years old, and <laughs> hey, Dad, I got you something you will never outlive. 
This is and you know how you tell me that you shouldn't be buying any green bananas? Well, guess what? You'll never outlive this, Dad. Comes downstairs or out to the living room. Surprise! <laughs> no, really, lay in it. Lay I'm in about it. to suck your blood. Uh, uh. No. Right. Yeah. I got you some discount caskets. And by the way, can we talk about the will again? Because I'm a little confused about that. Yeah. Why, why does spot. Billy get all the money? I tell my kids, my kids have asked who gets the money. And I just laugh like there's going to be money. Like what money? Oh, and I say, so your sister. <laughs> what? What do you mean, my sister? I'm like, well, you guys will be like old and everything by then too, so you won't need anything. But Caroline, she'll be young, so you're holding it over their head at nine. Oh, he's ten now. He's ten. You're holding but it over. I did, uh, speaking of uh, ten slash, just terrible segues into movies. So I watched my kids play baseball. It's so painful. It's. I mean, they have like flashes of brilliance, right, where the kid jumps and the ball magically materializes into their glove. You're like, holy crap, that was a good play. And then the next play, like the ball whizzes by his face because he's playing in the dirt. You're like, just, just no. Oh gosh, you know, whatever. So I got this thought that my kids were basically like the team major league or the Indians from the movie major league. Do you remember the movie major league? You didn't show your kids major league. I let Alice watch major league today. Yeah. My 10 year old. Isn't that the one where the, the guy sleeps with, <laughs> sleeps with? We, you know what? I'll tell you what we did. We did fast forward through that part. Yeah. And, and it doesn't really show any of that or it just kind of insinuates that it happened. Right. But it, I knew it was coming and I was like, oh, hey, look, why don't we get something to eat real fast? And I hit pause. I was thinking you'd show them like Sandlot, you know, no, they've seen Sandlot too. But this was this is more comical. Sure. Because I'm like, hey, isn't this kind of like how you guys play baseball? And like all the three guys run together and fall apart and the ball drops in the middle. Or they go to steal home and they slide like six inches too short. We watched the version that didn't have the swearing in it and stuff like that, of course. I mean, because it is a little. What are you, heathen? Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I don't hate my kids that much. Major Major League is, 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 is such a great movie. But it's still a funny movie, right? Just a bit outside. <laughs> missed the, tried the corner and missed. <laughs> Ball 12 and Vaughn has successfully walked the bases loaded on 12 straight pitches. I don't know how these guys are laying off pitches this close. <laughs> and Because you can imagine the funny part about that, of course, is imagining like imagining that you're listening to the game. You're like, gosh, darn, man, he can't get a call. But then you're watching them, and he's like throwing above the dude's head and in the dirt and all that stuff. <laughs> that, that is like, my kids had this uh, rule in their little league called the anti, probably all little leagues have this rule, but it's the anti-merry-go-round rule, they call it. That's the literal name, the anti-merry-go-round rule. Because what coaches would do is they would hit the ball and they would tell little Billy or little Sarah to just keep running. Because there was no way that they were going to be able to get them out. So they made this rule that when you hit it, you had to like stop it first. Or if you'd already rounded first, by the time somebody touched the ball, you could go, so you could keep going until somebody touched the ball. And at that point you had to stop at the next base. Oh yeah. They don't do that here. Oh yeah. Oh no, no, no. Kid hits at the outfield. It's, it is damn sure a home run. Oh yeah. No. If, it, if the ball goes past the infield, the kid's like, at least getting a triple out of it. Oh yeah. If I'm the coach, if I'm the coach, I'm like, just keep running. Do not stop. Because there's yep. no way these kids are going to complete this play. 
So that, yeah. that, but I love they called it the merry-go-round, the anti-merry-go-round rule. What a great. We name. had see see again. The kids kind of you know they're all over the board here. But then we, but then today they had a great double play. The kid literally jumped up, caught the ball, first baseman, right? Caught the ball, diving to his left, and as he fell, <laughs> tagged the base, and the runner was like two steps off the base. Bam! Boom! Double play. We're like, where does that come from? Like, do that the next time, too, instead of, like, got he's got one finger in his nose and the other one in the dirt. And he's like, huh? You know, and the ball sails over right past him, you know? You're like, oh, man, flashes of brilliance. But I, got, I could there. tell baseball stories all day, but let's uh, let's call this one. Yeah, just uh, just a general thing. Maybe it's okay to get your parents' caskets, but um, maybe not for Christmas. That might not be Definitely the, their birthday. That's the best time. You're 83. Time to go. Happy birthday right. to you. It might be the last one for you. Would it be great if you gave them a casket and then like told them it was time to take their medicine? Like right <laughs> after. Why does my food taste like arsenic? No reason. I don't know. What do we sleep ha- here? It'll be easier. What are we having today? Mushroom pie. I put no big deal. I put all your I put your favorite pillow in here, Dad. Why do I have to lay down in here? Eh, it's kind of kills two birds with one stone, I guess. Whatever that means. Yeah. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.